In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me all the way across the pond is Mr. Parapsychologist himself, the talking head, Mr. Steve <laughs> Parsons. Oh, thank you, Ron. It was, uh, that was an interesting... You sound tired. Well, you know, I just got back from that expedition to Wood Island Lighthouse for the weekend, so that was kind of... Yeah, so by, by the sound of it, you did an awful lot of talking. Your voice sounds um, worn well, out. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Is, is I used to have a decent voice, but it's going down over the years. They, they actually want me to have a operation for it, and uh, I don't think so. No, I think actually it could just be your microphone. <laughs> Okay. No, I don't think so. No. no anyway, Cal sends his apologies because Cal's stuck in traffic again. He's right. been out. Uh, he's been out filming today. I understand, being a rock star parapsychologist. Really? And, uh, yeah, but he doesn't get uh, helicopters or stretch limousines, so he's had to drive himself, and he's got stuck in traffic. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? You Still, know, we we had a busy weekend together, Cal and I. We were at the. I was just ask you that. Yeah, what, what did you do last weekend? Yeah, we were at the conference in Northampton uh, for the Society for Psychical Research. Where, um, uh, well, we both presented papers, and Cal got very drunk. No way. He scr- I'll tell you what. He doesn't have scrub up well, Cal. He well, you know, there's me, jeans. It was 27 degrees, so I've got jeans, T-shirt, sunglasses. Cal looked like he was going to a wedding. He was very smart. Oh, wait a minute. Now, 27 degrees, that's like uh, what? Celsius. In, in Celsius. Real, in real temperature. Um, in imperial. Um, yeah, that would, imperial, uh, as we are. Yeah, that would be, uh, oh, it was in the 80s. Really? It was very warm, but Cal did not. He scrubbed up very well. He looked really smart. Hey, how's that? That's better. You know what? My mic wasn't plugged in. That's, I did tell you it might have been your microphone. It's amazing that you actually could hear me. I could hear you perfectly. Well, unless you were you picking just, up technically, but anyways. Well, you just sounded rough, so uh, now, now you're back with us. Okay, here we go. There you go. 
So anyway, start the intro again. <laughs> we actually have a guest on our show, I believe. We do. We have um, uh, Tim Jones and Tim. I, I'm gonna, Tim, you're going to have to forgive me. I can't remember uh, whether you're still a member, ex-member, whether you founded a new one. I can't keep up with you on Facebook, mate. So do you want to do your own introduction? Wow. Hiya, Steve. Hiya, Ronald. Hey. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, due to unforeseen circumstances today, I had to uh, close down the group that I w- were with, Haunted Samuel, for various reasons. And you just generally know how the paranormal field is, so let's not get into all that stuff. Um, so I'm having myself a nice little break and taking it each day at, at a time now. Well, can't, can't we have some uh, some gossip then? you would go um, well, the be-all and end-all of it were, was a situation where, as well, we took on a new team member and she was going out there and getting us new locations that people had never been into before. And one of our existing members got a little bit jealous and started throwing accusations around, uh, making phone calls to us in the early hours of the morning, giving us abuse. So I took it, uh, the decision to just basically end the team because I don't want it. Wouldn't it have been easy just to get rid of the guy? Well, it's, it, the, the paranormal field, in, in it, it's just getting that bitch in there. I've got to a stage where I've lost the enjoyment out of it. Aww. And for me, if, I, if I'm not enjoying something, I'm not going to put my heart into it to get the results on the investigation. So it's time for a break. There you go. Oh, um, so, <laughs> um, well... To, to the point where you're now about to have a break, do you want to tell us, uh, or well, obviously, I mean, I've got a good clue, but Ron and a lot of the people listening may not have a good, uh, good idea about uh, what got you into the paranormal and where, you, where you've been up to the point where you're about to get out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, my interest in the paranormal field just came from reading books and obviously we've got tv shows in this country back in 2008 which is when i actually started investigating properly uh but before that i was attending other uh, events companies investigations just seeing what it was like to be out there on these ghost hunts and i attended a few ghost walks and found there would be something that i'd look, like to look deeper into so i started looking for people that had got similar interests and found uh, quite a few people and we set about looking for a, a location where we could investigate uh, to, to begin with. Now, you you also featured in, uh, you had, um, I know Cal's, Cal's away filming, but uh, you've also appeared in the media, haven't you, Tim? I have, yeah. I've uh, written articles and I also did used to host a radio show as well. I was thinking more in front of a camera. Uh, I did appear with uh, a group called Phantom Force back in 2009. That's the one. I seem to remember pictures of you in a hard hat with a Ghostbuster logo on the front. <laughs> yeah, at, at the wonderful and unique haunted uh, Smedic Swimming Centre. Yeah, do you want to tell us a bit about I mean, that's, that's intriguing. It looked like a very modern building, and there you were... It just looked like concrete tunnels, all wearing, you know, builders' gear. Um, I, what was the, what was the story with the the swimming pool? Well, it, it came about as a, a fluke, really, because when we started it out in two thousand 
we were looking for a location and I happened to work for the sports company uh, that own Smedic Swimming Centre and every month we get a newsletter sent out to us and there was a, a piece in there from the duty manager who's become good friends with me now, Andy Moore, uh, mentioning that they'd been experiencing some strange things and like seeing children and that and they got a list of workmen that refused to, to visit there and work there now because of the things that have happened. So I thought, you know, I, I work for the same company, maybe I can get them foot in the door and we can do an investigation there. So I emailed the council and asked them if we could arrange a, a meeting or an interview with the staff. And I got an email back from Mandy saying that it'd be very interesting talking to me about the, the experiences that they've had. Um, so we've been, we've been investigating there pretty much since 2008. But the, the unique thing about Smedic Swimming Centre is it's only 80 years old because it wasn't built till 1933. So it's quite a, a new building. But the reason why the tunnels underground are so, are so big is because in the winter months, they used to board over the pool. So just like a, a concert venue. And mm -hmm. they had groups like the Beatles play there, uh, the Who, the Kinks, the Rolling Stones. So it was, mm -hmm. back in the day, it was like the equivalent of what the NEC is now. Um, so all, all the wood and the, the scaffolding that was a, boarded over that pool were actually stored in the subways underground right and all, all those subways are it's just uh, tunnels and rooms that surround the, the the main pool and in in the second world war it was actually used as an air raid shelter as well because right over the road from it was a military base an raf uh, command center base that sounds like quite a history um so i mean did did we? Fairly yeah. new building. It does. Yeah. Did we? Did you pick up the ghosts of any of the aged pop stars? <laughs> yeah. uh, we we have Paul, Paul McCartney. <laughs> we haven't as of yet. There are, there are some interesting stories where um, before the Beatles made their big name, but their big break, they performed at the centre, and they they came back to my local area, West Bromwich, to perform at another theatre and it was John Lennon who asked the centre manager that was on at the time if they could come back and sleep at Smedic and he basically turned around to them and point blank refused them not realising who they were <coughs> and I also I was told that Pete Waterman got thrown out there as well it sounds like my type of place actually <laughs> out of a lot of them Actually, there's a, sort of, there's a sort of strange, bizarre link there between Peter Waterman and a new television programme that we've got over here called Great British Ghosts uh, that stars uh, Michaela Strachan. Peter, uh, Pete Waterman and Michaela Strachan uh, hit the television together. Oh, God. Must be, what, 20 years ago now? The programme called The Hitman and Her, late on a Saturday night where they played club music really loud till about 3am to annoy yeah. your parents too. So, so then Michaela Strachan now presents a ghost programme. She's become the new Yvette Fielding. Really? So, so Tim, I, I, I want to know, I mean, you said you, you read some books. and I mean, but what qualifications do you have to investigate ghosts as, a, as an investigator? Uh, I, I don't have any qualifications as such. I've not gone to university in psychology or, or parapsychology. I just do it out of pure interest, and obviously, over the years. Because the paranormal subject is so, so vast, 
you you find out new bits of information, you find out new areas of the paranormal. So I just went out there and started collecting books, going to my lo- local library and seeing what books w- were out there on the paranormal subject. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so you must have, you must have read Harry Price then. Yeah, I've got a few Harry Price books actually, and you know, I, I wrote an article in Haunted magazine about Borley Rectory, which was a great pleasure for me to write about that place because it's one of the iconic locations in the UK for, for the paranormal. Um, so f- for me, it's just more about a an understanding of how vast the paranormal field is because it's not just about ghosts and haunted locations you've got look cryptozoology and, and ufos and that that you can throw into the subject as well no 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 what are your thoughts on borley because it's quite Bor- a con- there's, there's a lot of contention about harry and uh, the borley investigations aren't there yeah, I mean, Ball is always going to be an interesting place for the paranormal field because of what what it represented and the way Harry Price was involved with the investigation there. And as you know very well, Steve, Harry Price is probably one of the most arguable uh, paranormal researchers. Right? Some people claim that his work was faked, and other people claim that it's like he was probably one of the godfathers of the paranormal. Um, but Again, the unfortunate side to it now is Borley's not there, so we're not going to be able to do more research into what Borley was and, and why it was haunted. What was in Borley Rectory be a hotspot of paranormal activity? I mean, what's your personal thoughts? You I mean you've read the you've read the works by Harry? Do you think it was a viable case, a, a legitimate haunting, or do you think that it was glammed up for the books and the media? Well, I think that if it was glammed up for the media, then Harry Price was very clever in the way that he did it. But then, then again, on the other hand, um, why was it so so popular for ghost hunters? Why did it get the attention of the people that it did? You know, you've got Harry Price, Peter Underwood, and a whole host of other big names that have investigated Bully. So why would it attract those names? Well, it could be argued, of course, that, that they're just following in the footsteps of Price. And, you know, I mean, a lot, yeah. of, the, the, a lot of the critics of Price say that effectively uh, he created the story of Borley Rectory. He, he, he wanted yeah. to sell his books and that subsequent researchers and investigators have, have merely just jumped on the bandwagon um, to either prove or disprove, you know, Borley's claims. For me, Borley's going to be one of those locations that's always going to have that great question mark over it. Because, like you were saying, a lot of people criticised Harry Price for the work that he did at Borley. So, you know, it's going to be a location where it's just got that grey cloud over it. We're never going to know what the truth is. Well, I mean, you know, before you came on the show, and I was doing a lot of thinking about this, I mean, Harry wrote. Uh, I think we talked about it on our last show. He, he, what was that manual he wrote? He wrote the handbook for the investigators, which he called... Uh, it had a blue card cover, so it was always called, and still is to this day, called the Blue Book. Blue Book. Okay. I mean, I, I think about that today, and, and, and when I heard you were coming on the show and you were going to talk about Harry and so forth, um, I, I kind of thought about that, because there, there are a lot of people out there who write how-to ghost hunting books, but is there any really academic or or at least uh, prestigious um, organization 
that has a manual for ghost hunting. And, and, and if, if there isn't, don't you think that's something that, that should be undertaken? Well, I, I, over here we have, uh, of course, we've got the SPR and several... You know, there have been there have been books written by members of the SPR that discuss the techniques and methods of ghost hunting. Um, Andrew Andrew Green, um, member of the SPR back in the, I think, is often credited with writing one of the first uh, books on how to investigate uh, ghosts and hauntings. Um, ASAP uh, also have produced uh, an investigator's handbook. Um, you know how to a how-to book for ghost hunting. Um, so the two the two leading organisations here have contributed. There have been there have also been a number of um, books and research papers that look at the ethics of, of paranormal investigation as well. So the topic the topic has been covered. But there's no official manual. That's what I'm trying to get. For instance, the one from the uh, SPs, whatever they are, and the other one. Uh, I mean, do they vary? Do they change? I mean, are, are they in sync? Or I think largely that there is a lot of agreement between uh, all of the books that are written, uh, be, you know, by the SPR and ASAP. I think some of the problems, in, in you can't. I don't think you can actually have a standard how-to manual uh, paranormal investigation is not like servicing a car or or fixing a washing machine because every case will be different and in, in reality you know what you 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 are wrong on that um educate well, me okay and and you know i don't want to leave tim out of this because you know he 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 read books and that's how he got involved in, in and well i mean b- before i all right, well, I'll get to you in a second, Tim. I'm, I apologize, but since I brought okay. this up. But, I mean, a lot of, like, fixing a car, fixing a, a uh, washing machine, even doctors, you work on basically evidence and get your conclusions from that. For instance, if you have a car and it tip-taps when the motor oil is low, then you know from experience that that was probably because your motor oil was low. So you have a, a uh, causal effect, though. And it's the same in medicine. If, if someone has chest pain and, and something else, then uh, they draw in their experience and, and they say, well, maybe they, he's having a heart attack. So in reality, we do the same thing in ghost hunting, don't we? I, I mean, of course, to, a, to an extent, there are, there are, and as I said earlier, there are, there are a lot of similarities between the different how-to books. But there is also disagreement because some people favour a evidence-led, uh, a, a, you know, purely evidence-led approach where you are very objective. There, there's, um, it's a very, sl- it's, a, it's a much slower process. It, it's, it's guided by ethical considerations as much as anything. And there are others who, who prefer to go in, um, perhaps led by a psychic, perhaps led by seances. Um, there are, there are yet others who, who, who just simply, uh, you know, crash in there, uh, take the K2 meters out of the box, get all of the equipment out on the first night, snap away with the cameras and, and the digital recorders. So there are different techniques. And, yeah, I, I don't – you can have sort of general guidelines, but 
they they people wouldn't necessarily use them. Um, what what you and I might prefer to use, you and, and I include Tim on this as well, um, might not be the preferred method of another. Uh, group of investigators who believe that they are that their method is equally correct. Right. So, I mean, Tim, when when you started investigating, I mean, you basically had a blank slate, right? You, only from the yep. books you read. So, how did you develop your investigative techniques? Well, I, I started out pretty much at, at the bare basics of doing investigations, um, and obviously. You, you, you'd fo focus your first part of the investigation on what people were, were experiencing. And one thing that I was doing as well in the very early days was I, I was looking at other websites to pick up tips and tricks. And I, I used the Parascience website, looking at information on there, things and theories that you can look into. And that's that's how I kind of de develop, develop the technique and the method that I use for investigating. So. I mean, that's why we're still investigating some of the Serene Centre now, because we want to get as much information from that place as we can to piece together the puzzle as to actually what is happening there historically and paranormal-wise. So, but we, we have tried different methods throughout the investigation. Sometimes we've gone in with just a notepad and pen and seeing what we felt in, in the location. Other times we've, we've done baseline tests on the, on the investigations. And sometimes we've taken mediums in uh, to get an idea of what they're feeling and then we try and tie it in with what the witnesses have said okay i think if we we, we you asked me uh about about books right. um i think after harry's book the blue book which were which were really only guidelines for his own investigators at borley i think the next serious attempt comes in the early 70s with andrew green's book andrew green was a uh, an investigator um with the society for psychical research and he produced ghost hunting a practical guide in 1973 uh which i think you can see uh if if you read it you can actually see it's the root of many of the the more recent books on how to hunt ghosts for example the american book by joshua warren um and one or two others um and if i can just quote very very briefly from him um, he, he states here, before carrying out any ghost hunting, you should seriously consider your reasons for doing so. Is it that you have witnessed some phenomena yourself? Do you know someone who has been disturbed at seeing a phantom? Or is it some book you have read that has recently sparked off a greater interest in the subject? Then be warned, if you wish to take up the subject of parapsychology seriously and to carry out investigations in any other way would be foolish then you must realise that there is a lot to learn and a lot of time may be involved for which there is very, and appropriately, little financial return. I would, only, I would only contest that last line, actually, because nowadays it's such a huge industry, there's a huge financial return for some. You think so? I, I really don't think so, but that's mm. another disagreement. Mm. But uh, I think the majority of people very seldom make any money, if any, I mean, on uh, paranormal. I mean, it's very... And even those who had TV shows uh, are just digging out a living on it, basically, because it's no matter how you look at it, it's still looked down upon. It's not an accepted, uh, you know, mainstream uh, service, I guess you would say. 
it may not be mainstream, but there are there are uh, a considerable number. In fact, I would say almost the majority of paranormal groups here in the UK now are running some form of um, public access side of of uh, the investigations. Um, there is so many. There are so many opportunities now to do public access investigations. Um, and I think that's actually Tim. How do you find it where you are? I mean, you're right in the middle of the of, of the country, right in the middle of the UK, and you know there's plenty of teams around you um, and plenty of them running events. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why groups are setting up now as events companies because the big problem that we've got is locations do charge quite a lot of money. So for for a small group of, of say six people to hire a location, some places around here you're talking between five and six hundred pounds, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think that they they invite members of the public along to help cover the costs. And I think that the big big issue that we've got now, especially in the UK, is because there are that many groups setting up as events companies. We're kind of losing that that touch of actually we should be investigating these locations to understand what is happening there, and you can't get that understanding on a public uh, investigation. You don't think it's more chicken and egg uh, situation because because there are so many groups who are willing to pay. Then you know, if I had a haunted building and there was a lot of people who wanted to be there, then then obviously I would charge a lot of money. Um, so you know, this idea that you know, which came first, the groups paying the money or the venues charging the fee? I think it's it's a catch-22 situation for for the paranormal field because if locations know there's money there, then they're going to charge for it. I mean, we, we always try to get locations that are free, and sometimes you you do get asked, we'll open the building up, but it's going to cost you x amount to cover for staff which is fine it's, if you know what you're paying for but if it's location that just open their doors and go you can have the building for 500 quid then you know is, is that questionable and if there are groups willing to pay it then again it, it's that catch 22 situation all around really then, that, then, I, then I think that then leads on to the obvious question. You said before you can't do an investigation with the public there. So is, is, is there any real point in giving the place 500 quid and then selling a load of tickets? I mean, you know, what does it achieve? Well, it's like entertainment ghost hunting, isn't it, Steve? You know, people now, because they've seen it on TV, they expect it to be like how most of you want to do is something happening all the time. But you know yourself that you could do one location one weekend and get absolutely nothing. And then the next weekend, another group will do it and they've got activity from the offset. So... Um, Well, I mean, I, I, you know, public events, um, I think for education and I, I really don't see that, you know, you could call it an investigation in any meaningful sense. Um, and when you have a paranormal group, then, you know, claiming that they're doing an investigation and claiming that, you know, they can show the members of the public or, or the members of the public can share in the investigation does sound to me yeah. a bit of an oxymoron. What's it like over there, yeah, Rob? It's, it's very similar, and I agree 100%. And I know uh, we're coming up to the break right now, but I, I agree totally. If you have a public event, it's not, you really can't classify it as a, a true investigation. Um, 
the, the, the bottom line on it, it's basically entertainment. And, uh, yeah, there's the break. So, anyways, we'll be right back. Anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Everything you heard about witches is true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem witches, Sean Poirier, and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil 
sail into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com or call 978-740-9783. Happy Halloween! <laughs> You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the very astute Mr. Parascience. Uh, can't remember his name. Looking nice. That witch's thing. voice, she really does need the throat sweet. Really? You think so? Yeah, she sounds like she's got a really poorly throat. Yeah, except it's a guy. <laughs> it's a guy. It's a guy? Yeah. Oh, my God. Definitely needs something doing then. Yeah, anyways, and our special guest is Tim Jones, right here on Pararex, uh, TojiNet, uh, Ghost Channel, and Beyond. So, anyway, and speaking about spectral evidence, I will be a, be there October 20th. Um, that's uh, my event uh, as part of Festival of the Dead in Salem, so it's always good. We get people come back the same year, time after time, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you, you, you really are. I mean, o- over there you do have a, a really big time of Halloween. Um, way, way, way more than... Uh, I think we're playing catch-up. But um, I think you, you guys over there have got it pretty well nailed. Well, we actually have a question from the, uh, the Parax chat room, and that's from CC, and she wants to know about this blue book, and as, as well I do. I think it's, it's very intriguing, and I, I would love to read more of it. Uh, so Harry Price's blue book, is it available? Where can people get it? I wish it was available. Uh, if anybody has a copy, they're sitting on an absolute gold mine. Um, the book is, uh, it was only ever printed in a, um, a very small print run, uh, for the members of Price's investigation team. So there is, there were ever only less than 50 of them. There is one or two uh, it, around uh, in different libraries, um, but there are none in existence that I'm aware of in, uh, in the sort of for sale or uh, in captivity. Bummer. So anyways, I Major uh, I, I do want to ask him a question. I mean, you have been doing this for a little while, so, I mean, we, we know why you went into it and, and why you are stepping back right now. Uh, so I assume that you have a full-time job as, as well. This was never a full-time job for you. No, I, I work as a sports coach for my day job, so this was more of a hobby for me than anything else. Is that common in the UK that that most people have like day jobs and and do this as as more of a, I guess you would kind of say a hobby, but uh, probably a little bit beyond it. Maybe like a a club. Is, is that what? I, am I right with this or am I wrong? I, I really don't know. That's I'm kind of asking. Um, a lot of the the people that I I know and associate with in my local area just do this as a hobby, um, mm-hmm. but the like the big events companies are in the country they do pay their staff but it's not, you don't get paid enough to do it full time right so even if you are doing it full time you still need uh, a supplement income yeah as we get a phone call from the dead here I apologize for that it's not Cal is it? <laughs> calling in <laughs> anyways uh, Tim so I mean do you see yourself going back to the paranormal again 
I, I enjoy the field. You get to, to visit a lot of, of fantastic places. The UK's got loads of historical locations that are just beautiful for their architecture. And, you know, I, I enjoy looking into local history as well. It's, for, for me, I've learned more about history in my local area than I did when I was at school. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, there's always going to be that interest there for me. And it's just... I'd, I'm going to take some time because obviously my career is taking off as well. So I'm mm-hmm. focusing more time in my career than actually the paranormal investigations. So it's kind of difficult to get the equal balance right between the two. So it's, I'm just going to have a break from it and then see where I feel in a couple of months' time. When you were doing this and doing your career, I mean, was there – did you ever, you know – have a stigma attached to you because you did ghost hunting did people look at you differently than uh in in your your real life job than than uh they would someone else well no not really it's because everybody's got their own hobbies and this is just something different so the company that i work for know what i do we've done plenty of charity events at Smithwick Swimming Centre so it's known that I do it within the company and a lot of people have showed an interest in it and want to read the articles that I've written and we've had a few people up on investigations as guests so Mm -hmm. you know I I suppose in a way I'm kind of lucky because it's an accepted part of what I do they know that it's just my hobby right uh, that's that's you know that's that's intriguing and and uh, I know that at some places and some people do look down upon especially in the United States it's it's very uh, uh, even though it's very popular right now there are still people that look down on it and uh, you know think you're a wacko if you even just do it as a hobby. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that I've spoken to within the company when they've asked me what I do for a hobby and I've mentioned it to them, they're actually quite interested in themselves. Mm-hmm. So it kind of kicks off conversations between between the, the, myself and my colleagues. Right. And generally, it's just accepted as part of a hobby of what I do. Can I can I just ask? Um, I mean, it, Ron's raised an interesting an interesting question because you know people do come up and say, "Oh, what, what you know? What do you do? What's your hobby? What's your interests?" Um, do you just come straight out and say? I hunt ghosts, or do you, you know, wrap it up with, you know, uh, I look for evidence of. I mean, how, what, what, which way do you prefer to answer? Because it's a question I get asked a load of times. Yeah. Well, generally, as you know yourself, people will come up to you and they'll just ask you. But a lot of the stuff they've been talking about, Smithwick's been sent to Have you heard about the stories at Smithwick and that? And I've, that's where the conversation started. And I've, I often say, well, I actually started beginning doing the investigations there back in 2008 and that's when the conversation changes and they show their interest in it and they ask you like, what have you experienced have you ever seen anything you know what, what's it like being out on these ghost hunts and I, I always make a joke of it myself and I think like with the way society is in the, in the UK you get people who'll work the week and they'll go and blow the money on a weekend out and forget what's happened but we, guys like us can go out on a Friday night and Saturday night or whenever and remember the night and that's what I enjoy about it and I, I, I make that joke with people that I actually can go out on weekends and remember what I've done 
<laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> what, what about you, Ron? Are you a ghost hunter or a parapsychologist when asked? Neither. Neither? I'm an investigator. You're an in- Anne's got a good one. Do you remember Anne from last week? She calls herself a paranormal phenomenologist. I like that. I like that. That's a good one, isn't it? Yes, I do. I like so that they, a lot, actually. They, they never normally ask then, so she gets off the hook. Uh, you, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Markwatz, he's uh, one of the leading EVP guys in the United States. Uh, he used to belong to this group, and I always thought it had the coolest name. I mean, it had an acronym, which was Boo, and I, I thought that was pretty <laughs> but whatever. But, it, but the, the name of the group was the uh, Boston Organization of Odd Occurrences, and I always, that always tickled my fancy. I, I, that does have an appeal. Odd occurrences. That that <clears throat> that actually has quite an appeal. Is it? Because, well, yeah. Because I wrote That's an article a while. Well, I wrote an article a while ago because paranormal investigator doesn't sum up what what I do. Because you know, as Tim said earlier, it covers cryptozoology and ufology and wackoology and all the other daftologies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ghost hunters need their own. Demonology. Well, I said wacko. Um, ghost, ghost hunters need their own because, um, you know, we're not parapsychologists and we're not ufologists um, and we're not – psychical research really gets us confused with, you know, people think that you're doing something psychical or mystical. So I use the, the Roman word for ghost, manus, and came up with manusology, which I thought was rather cool. That sounds like a bread thing. Well, uh, it's the best I could come up with. Manta, manus, I don't know. <laughs> Manusology. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? You, we, you brought up uh, Wackel's psychologies, and um, I, I do want to ask, because I know we have this this um, discussion all the time. So I want to ask Tim, uh, demonology and evil spirits, do they exist? Do you think they exist? Um, my, my simple answer to that would be it's down to individual belief you know, there's plenty of locations within the UK that claim that they have demons and you know, places claim to have had exorcisms and stuff and I, th- I personally think it's down to your individual belief if you believe that demons and negative spirits are there then that that's your belief system but I've, I've never done an investigation where I've encountered anything that I would believe would be uh, demonic or anything like that mm-hmm. so it's that's what I'd say about it. I'd say it is down to individual belief. Okay. And so let me ask you, uh, my my good friend here, Mr. Parascience, I know you don't believe in demons at all, correct? Ah, 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 ah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I hear it detect a note of... Uh... It depends by what you're defining as demons, because um, there are so many... Are we accepting this, this sort of modern, new, post-Amityville... Um, idea of demons that that there's some sort of demonic possession going on because demons have been around demons were you know a true the first poltergeist cases were were always attributed to being demonic uh there were there were devils or demons throwing the stones or scratching or banging or moving things um and if you talk about belief then you can't rule out the fact that the Catholic Church maintains a commission for or for deliverance and exorcism, and the Catholic Church, which which has probably you know one of the greatest parapsychology units, um, and you know has been it's got two thousand years of history looking at 
miracles, the paranormal, uh, demonic and devil possession. Um, they, they invest a great deal of time and effort because they believe. Now, um, there is strong evidence to suggest obsession or possession um, and the, the requirement for exorcism and deliverance. So um, in terms of the broad picture, that there is some branch of phenomena that you could label as demonic, uh, then, yeah, I mean, I believe that they take place. Well, that's, a, that's not the answer I expected from you, uh, Steve. I, I'm amazed. Right. Well, it's the same as I believe in poltergeists. I believe that they take place soon. I believe that people see ghosts. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there's nothing to, contra- to contradict it, is there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is, well, there there is good evidence. Well, there is yeah. good, very, very good evidence to suggest that people have these experiences, completely unlike Paranormal Activity or uh, the other films that have come out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, this, that's Hollywood. Right. Oh, yeah, you have to distinguish between the two. So let me throw this out to both you and Tim. And, and that is, if, if you have someone who is investigating, uh, for instance, we had a, a gentleman on, on the show uh, who was, uh, I think he was born again or a Baptist, I forget what, and I, I do apologize for that, what religion he was, but he didn't believe in ghosts. Yet he was a par- had a paranormal team, and he believed because of his religion that uh, you were either... Uh, you went to heaven or you went to hell. So if anything was here, it was demonic. So, so the the question is, I'm not trying to challenge his beliefs, but if you, if those are his beliefs and he does paranormal investigating, is his research any less valid than someone who is totally agnostic? If From you my- look at the evidence. Yeah, from my perspective, it would be. It has to be because if I if 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 exactly the same, but the evidence. Yeah, but the approach was the question you asked me about. Right. And if if you have somebody who is a strong skeptic investigating the paranormal, or somebody who is a strong believer, or somebody who has strong religious convictions, they will all colour the investigation uh, that they do. Um, with that belief, the, the the only real way to conduct an investigation, um, realistically, is to try and set aside all beliefs, um, and and be as objective and evidence led as possible. You know, so it, it irrespective of whatever the whatever the the the, the guy's religious beliefs are, um, the fact that he already didn't believe in ghosts already makes uh, his investigation uh, quality suspect. The same as if he believed in fairies or he believed in the existence of ghosts or he believed strongly in the, you know, whatever he believed in. Mm -hmm. It would colour his judgement prior to his investigation. Uh, Everybody does have personal beliefs and and a position, but in order to, to be an objective investigator, you really as much as possible, have to set that aside and, and make no diagnosis and draw no conclusion prior to the, seeing the evidence. Right. So, Tim, I mean, what is your, your thoughts on that? Well, like, like Steve said, you know, I agree with everything that you said there, Steve, and in, in a way, 
investigations that that gent that guy does would be kind of biased towards one side of religion because that's his belief system you know every everybody he's going to have a different reason for why they investigate the paranormal field and if somebody wants to do it for religious purposes that and believe that there is good and evil and and not believe in ghosts, then that's that individual person's belief system. And that's the way they want to investigate the paranormal field. And every person's, every group's results, sorry, are going to be different. You know, you, you might be lucky and get a few investigation groups that get similar results from their investigations. But I think the important part to remember is regardless of what your belief systems or reasons why that you're doing it, it's always going to be different. So one one group can look at it sceptically, whereas another group can look at it totally open-minded, and another group could be full-on believers. But it's it's all down to individual belief systems. Right, and, and I I can understand what what you both are saying, and in, in that whatever you believe in, whether it's you believe in nothing, you believe in something, that your investigation would be tainted by your beliefs. But if we look at the strictly the evidence that's collected, for instance, a photograph is a photograph or a sound is a sound, then can't we analyze both of those uh, non-judgmentally? Well, if, if, on, if only that were true. I mean, how many times have you seen people debating EVP or squabbling over the quality of a ghost photograph? Um, you know, there is no... For, for a, if I presented you with a, a really good picture, you might say that's really good evidence for a ghost. Somebody else might throw it out as, as the work of Photoshop. Mm-hmm. So I, I could present a very, very good EVP that might convince you that I'm speaking to the dead. Somebody else might say I'm listening to the local police and fire station. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you can't present that, that standard piece of evidence, but what you can, uh, by a process of investigation, do is build a body of evidence um, and allow that body of evidence to draw you in a particular direction. Um, you know, science works that way. It, it works, first of all, by observation and then the forming of a hypothesis and then the testing of the hypothesis by by experimentation which could also be by investigation and uh, observation and the evaluation of the evidence and then the redefining of the of the hypothesis and the question and then the retesting so if you if you're a you know if you're a skeptic if you already don't believe in something you don't believe in ghosts then when you look at that photograph you are less likely less inclined to accept that it might be evidence of of a genuine ghost. Okay. So we actually have to take a break right now, and uh, we mentioned a little early about Anne Carrigan and her cemetery trippings, and this is a new one by her cemetery tripping by Anne Carrigan. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where I share my discoveries of interesting resting places, unusual stones, and monuments. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. 
Today, I'd like to tell you about an interesting monument which I discovered while doing some exploring of local cemeteries in the small town of Barrie, Massachusetts. Barrie is a colonial-era town in central Mass, with scores of wonderful, small, historic roadside cemeteries. This monument is located in the Lee Cemetery, which is on Wawinet Road and was erected for the Lee family. The primary names on the monument are that of General Samuel Lee, David Lee, and Charles Lee. The first inscription that I read was that of Charles Lee, who was born in Barrie in 1796, and according to his epitaph, at the age of 13, perished on board the steamer Lexington, which was burned on the evening of January 13, 1840, on her passage from New York to Stonington. An image of the steamship is carved into the monument, and although starting to erode is mostly visible. There were only four survivors of this tragedy, and the disaster was depicted by Currier and Ives in its first major selling print. The second name on the stone is that of General Samuel Lee, and has a very lengthy epitaph due to his important stature and heroic service during the Revolutionary War. It is very difficult to read. However, the highlights of General Lee's service took place between the ages of 13 and 16, which I found quite remarkable. Part of the inscription reads, It was determined to raise a flying regiment, as it was called, of infantry. To effect this, a selection was made from the New England troops of the most athletic and hardy persons, who should be best capable of performing and sustaining active and arduous duties. Young Lee came with the description. The regiment was placed under the command of Colonel Alexander Scammell, a bold and tried soldier from the New Hampshire line. This body was then marched down to the American lines in New Jersey and placed upon active duty. It was its province to detect and suppress the depredations of the British and the Tories, and as their incursions were mostly in the night, the duty was arduous and fatiguing. Scammell's regiment became a terror in name and deed. General Lee also participated in a southern campaign, which resulted in the capture of Cornwallis at Yorktown. He retired from his illustrious military career at the ripe old age of 16 and became a teacher and surveyor of land and held many positions in local and state government, eventually rising to the position of senator. The last name on the monument is that of General Lee's son, David Lee, who, like his father, was a well-respected farmer who served in local government throughout his lifetime. He was apparently the last of the Lee family line in Barry. In the course of researching the Lee family, I did find that the original monument held carved images of both Samuel and David. However, due to the exposure to the elements, both have either disintegrated or perhaps been removed to save them from this fate. It is a very grand monument to see erected in a small family cemetery where most of the stones are plain and nondescript. Comprised of blue Italian marble with Doric columns supporting a 14 high foot portico, it is something that would more likely be seen in a cemetery in the city rather than the countryside. I am always surprised by my finds in these country cemeteries, which is one of the reasons I will continue my cemetery trip. And that was my co host from tomorrow, Ian Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell. Did she say Cornwallis? I think you guys know that chap, right? Um, he's one of ours, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that name escapes me, but I'm sure it means something somewhere. Anyway, back to ghost hunting. So, uh, speaking about cemeteries, uh, Tim, have you ever investigated a cemetery? Do you believe the cemeteries are haunted? Um, in very early days, I 
was asked to take part in an investigation of the cemetery. Um, but I, I made the point that it would only be done if we could get permission to actually investigate the cemetery. And, you know, a, a questionable area of consecrated ground, is it really going to be haunted or not? Just quite a lot of groups have done investigations at cemeteries. Um, so I, I always find cemeteries the, the questionable area, area of investigation because if it's in consecra consecrated ground, why would it be haunted? Well, well isn't that go back to beliefs, though? Isn't that what we, we, we were talking just a few minutes before this came on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is there's, there are dozens of haunted churches. Um, I mean, the 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 you know the the lore, the folklore of ghosts uh, hauntings is full of haunted Borley. Um, list and you know the list goes on and on and on. I, I don't think that there's any real problem with um, conducting a very small scale investigation of a of a churchyard and um, you know ghosts are where ghosts are, and providing you're respectful and you know I don't see a huge problem with it. Well, I know just about a minute left in the show right now, and, and I'm just going to throw this out quickly. Well, first of all, um, Tim, is there anything you would like to, uh, you, know, you know, give out either a website or, or anything like that or appearances that you got coming up? Um, I, I currently now focus all my time at uh, the events at Smithwick Swimming Centre, working there as a staff member. Mm -hmm. um, so if people would like to book that location, then they can easily get in, in contact with the facility itself um, but other than that I took the website down today so, so I've not got no website okay Tim thank okay, you for coming yeah. on the show cheers Tim well. thank what you for having me uh, uh, Steve what about you no, I've got I've got my uh, the parents are down for the week, so uh, I'm I'm having a week off after the exertions of the SPR conference, uh, spending time with the family, and then I've got some stuff to do uh, writing wise next week. But if people want to have a look at the Parascience website, it's www.parascience.org.uk. Okay, and I do want to mention two things. Tune in tomorrow night, seven p.m. at these same stations for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Book of Shadows, where my special co-host will be Kelly Spangler, Salem Witch. Uh, and also, coming up at the end of the month, of course, is my course at North Essex Community College in Paranormal CSI. I believe there are still some openings, but I'm not sure, so you might want to check with the college. Um, so I guess that's it. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Steve, great job as usual. I do want to try epic sometimes. So, good night. God bless. Good night, Rob. Good night, Rob. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. <laughs>